1: At our firm, we are readers and book junkies. It can be said that leaders are readers and we believe books provide us a great source of information for filtering what is and isn't important for us as investors. Investing is the last great liberal art and the best way to spend a lifetime of learning. This podcast is for readers, thinkers, business minded people, and investors who want to grow their knowledge from great authors and their writing. Charlie Munger often talks about using multiple mental models and analysis. Our aim for this podcast is to help listeners test Munger's theory in business, markets, and people. Investors and people we run into and meet uh, often ask us what books are on our reading list. Uh, This is our quarterly episode to talk about books, books, and more books. Joining me to talk about our reading list is our chief investment officer, my dad, Bill Smead. Also joining Bill and me for the first time is our colleague and senior analyst, Seamus Sullivan. Bill and Seamus, thanks for joining me today. Thank you
0: thanks Cole. great great to be with you.
1: So I'm excited to talk about you know what we're reading, um, going over anything we've read and also you know things that are out there um, you know that we've been uh, told about for books so um, I'll I'll pass to Bill first. Uh, can you go through some books that you've recently read?
0: Yeah, I read the Changing World order by Ray Dalio and we're we're big on economic history and trying to find, other time periods that had analogous situations, and he did a really a great job of covering the emergence of the Dutch uh, uh, economy being a powerhouse, the British being a powerhouse, and then asking the question, you know, is the United States gonna go the way of those prior powerhouses? Uh, Read, of course, The Economics of the Parable by Father uh, Robert Sirico. the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and and you know Munger says invert, always invert, and in effect that's exactly what C.S. Lewis did. He wrote a a, a book of of how to find virtue by s- s- inverting it and talking about the way that Satan might want to ruin you, and and therefore it's brilliant. And then All About Me by Mel Brooks, who's absolutely one of my favorite creators of of, uh, entertainment through TV writing, script writing, making movies, and uh, just absolutely entertaining my life.
1: Yeah, so for me, obviously, we all read, you know, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, To your point, Bill, uh, you know, it's written from the picture of a demon advising another demon on their patient. And... It's interesting to think about because, like you know, we we're I think we we're Seamus and I were talking about this this morning. When, when we're analyzing a business, there's sometimes where you want to figure out what can kill it, right? In other words, you you might not actually want to figure out how it succeeds. You might want to figure out how you could kill it. it back to the kind of Munger's inversion theory. Um, but I point that out because effectively the demon and his consultant, um, you know, Screw Tape and Wormwood. Are trying to figure out how to damage the patient to the highest degree, <laughs> um, and what's interesting is you know they'll get to points where they couldn't damage them like they were hoping they could, um, and he would be excoriating. Uh, and, and, and Lewis had
0: massive credibility in in the academic world, world as well as in in the faith world. Uh, Churchill asked him uh, to to speak to the British people while they're getting bombed by Germany in World War Two, And so it, it, he had massive credibility with all sources. And so reading this book and him inverting, I thought was just a brilliant way to allow someone that maybe hadn't grown up in a faith world to understand the
1: practical world. Yeah, the, the other, uh, so Bill, I'm gonna ask you to tell a, a little story, because you you, wrote, you read All About Me by Mel Brooks, who Mel Brooks is 96 years old. He really? uh, um, he's been an incredibly successful uh, person to be a kid from New York to do that. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I haven't read his book, but I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, do you wanna tell your Mel Brooks story from your Drexel days? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just as a picture of how, yeah. <laughs> how funny he is, period. So in the Smead family, we,
0: we like to give out nicknames to people we like. And a lot of times someone's nickname will be based on the uh, TV movie personality or famous person that they look like. And so my wife and I got in the habit of doing that a lot. And so a Friday afternoon, we had a date night. This is when Cole was a little guy and and uh, we had five kids. And so we had a date night. And so she came down to the office. Well... Uh, What she didn't know, I was at Oppenheimer at the time, and Mel Brooks was taking his uh, production company, Public, through Oppenheimer and was in Seattle for that segment of the Roadshow. And he was wandering around the office, and I stepped out of my office, invited him in, and and told him how much of a blessing that his work was to, to me and how much I loved blazing saddles and and all the other great space balls and you know just all the other ones that that he had done so my my wife Cole's mom comes wandering in and uh, I said honey I'd like you to meet Mel Brooks well of course Becky thought he was a guy that I knew in the industry or from the office that looks like Mel Brooks and and didn't Realized that it was Mel Brooks. And we laugh about that to
1: this day. I was, uh, I I was just, uh, watching a a movie and obviously he's done incredible number of uh, kids voiceovers the last 10 years. Um, you know, as he's got older and my kids were shocked to find out how many movies he is, you know, either, uh, scripting or doing the voiceover for. Um, so let's see. So the books, the books that, uh, the books that I've you know, just got done reading, I just read The Chancellors by Howard Davies. Um, Howard, um, who's actually currently the chairman of uh, Nat West Group, um, the former R- RBS uh, bank, um, is gonna be coming on the podcast to talk about that book. Um, coming from the United States where we look at the central bank, the, the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell and, and his, his, uh, the, the various governors, and then the Treasury Department, Um, we think of them as being very distinctly different entities, um, in the UK for much of its history, the chancellor, the exchequer and the bank of England, um, were much more tied together. So it's interesting to think about different structures. Um, also he highlights things like the inflation target. Um, we have a dual mandate policy here, which is, um, you know, labor and obviously inflation and it's inflation not to be greater than 2%. Well, the bank of England, for example, thinking about their financial structure, um, There's this plus or minus two percent, which is a vastly different mandate because you might go to one five, you might go to two and a half, but you kind of want to be around two. Um, so I think it's an interesting way of thinking about how other economies are structured around their central bank and their financial abilities, um, with you know our treasury or their their exchequer. Um, it, Cole, an interesting aside to that:
0: uh, it, it, when I started in the investment business in 1980, in the aftermath of Paul Volcker tightening credit intensely. We'd gather around the ticker tape machine, and on Thursday after the close, the money supply numbers would come out. And that's what the Fed was targeting was money supply in those days uh, rather than, oh, oh, yeah, M1 and M2. And, oh, gosh, people were paid a lot of money to decipher all that. And and so just think of how the years go by. Now, it's an interest rate-based thing. It's not a money supply-based thing. But I think you could probably do it by money supply. And boy, we exploded the money supply between the Trump administration and the Biden administration to, to fight the pandemic war. We probably exploded that money supply. Take a look at a chart. and Yeah. yeah.
1: The, the other book I just got done reading uh, is called Undelivered by a gentleman named uh, Jeff Nussbaum. Uh, it's a bunch of speeches from, call it the 19th and 20th century that obviously went undelivered. And so back to kind of Munger's inversion, you're now asking the question in an alternative history, and 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 again I think about it because a lot of what we do is the probabilities, okay? And when you can't know the future, you have to assign different probability, you know, to different events, and they're kind of different paths uh, in what could happen, and then there's obviously different odds based on those paths, and so. Um, Jeff's book is has everything from Hillary's 2016 victory speech, which obviously went undelivered. He has in there uh, JFK's invasion of Cu- or attack of Cuba, which obviously never happened. We blockaded Cuba, um, and there's all these great you know alternative histories what could have happened. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, it makes me actually now I think the danger in it is a lot of people will be like Uncle Rico. Okay, from, obviously I'm talking of Napoleon Dynamite fame, where he says things like, well, you know, if coach had only put me in a fourth quarter, we would, we, would have, uh, we would have won that game, we would have been state champs, and I'd be sitting here next to my soulmate. I, I'd have gone pro, okay. and I'd be sitting in a hot tub with my soulmate. So I, I don't think it's valuable to sit there and be pissed at what's happened in life. I think it's more interesting to think about from today forward in the unknown future that we always have to deal with, What are the paths that we have to identify as not as possibilities and probabilities in outcomes, and that helps us understand risks and where we're likely to go as investors better? Uh, And and by the way, Jeff is also we're going to have a podcast with him that'll be releasing here in the fall, and um, I think we'll just a wonderful discussion. Um, We've already done some writing, uh, in fact, off of Jeff's book, Um, and then the last one that I also read, uh, like Bill did, was *The Economics of the Parable*. Uh, economics, the Parables. Um, Seamus, what what have you read, or what have, what are you working on?
2: So, so that one, you guys actually, um, I got that from from both of you, and you guys were talking about it, so I I went and got it, and it's a great book. It's I thought of it more in terms of parables being a a way of keeping kind of mental models. Like so a way of describing something and the way you think things work and putting it in a story frame and then being able to keep that in your head kind of for different scenarios. And so um, I I like the idea of parables and uh, relating to it and just kind of how he talks about capitalism, entrepreneurship, what we do. You know, it's never comfortable to do something that you don't know the future of that you that you are putting risk in. I mean, obviously here we have all of our, you you know, money in the fund and we take risks with with everybody, um, and he he put he frames that and says that's really something to be valued, right? I mean, putting yourself out there, striving for something, even if you fail, that's that's something admirable. And, and capitalism and people uh, starting businesses are not a necessarily a negative thing, right? Like, I mean, it's a positive thing to go out there and and produce something for for people, as long as you're not taking advantage of them. Well, in yeah. the
1: parable of the talents, I it actually makes me think. I walk away thinking. The parable, of the talents is the parable of the stock picker, yeah. okay? Yeah. Because, and, and I don't want to steal too much from our discussion from no. him later, but he gave the most capital to the person. He was the most confident of their skills. He gave the second most amount of capital, which was, he gave, uh, was, was it five, three and one talent uh, away to the various individuals. But, but so the first person came back, got five, came back with another five. So he had ten. Second person gave three. He came back with another three. In other words, where he had the most confidence. Yeah, he was yeah. right to actually place that capital with him because the one he was the least confident on, yeah. he, he did a what I'll call a starter position. But
0: <laughs> but but one denarius, it, it, that was what the t- talent was, it, he explains was in a tremendous amount of capital mm-hmm. in those days. So the truth of it is, it, it'd be like... Uh, uh, Julian Robertson, that passed away recently, and funded the tiger cubs. You know, he probably didn't give the same amount of money to each tiger cub, mm. but but he funded the tiger cubs, and, and and it was the same way. The the one I like in there, uh, that he pointed out, I never thought much about was uh, n- two people walked by and left the guy in the ditch. The, the good Samaritan uh, met the guy's needs. But then the last thing that Sirico talks about is he went to the innkeeper and said, any ongoing expense associated with this guy, you credit that to my account, and I will pay you the next time I, I, I come by the
1: town.
2: And he said he probably was a businessman because the amount of money that it took for them to do that was probably he was traveling to, to yeah. you know do commerce right. or whatever. Yeah, we,
1: we over, I, I think we all overwhelmingly walked away of... Um, You know, because I and I think he pushes back on this the idea that Jesus was this little communist kind person, and he's telling stories that are very pro-capitalist, pro-business. You know, things that you just don't tend to hear um, in in certain religious circles at times. So, um, so let's pivot over to what we're currently reading. Um, Bill, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I've I've broken into uh, uh, the revolution that
0: wasn't by Spencer Jacob. I think is the way you pronounce his name. He's a writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, has kids that are at the age that were part of the Robin Hood and Reddit thing, and by v- looking over his sh- kids' shoulders, got extremely interested in the subject. And it, it, I'm early in the book, but it's already got uh, Ken Griffin's Citadel and and the founders and math geniuses. I mean, it's literally uh, all the best ingredients of financial euphoria. And I'm only about. Ten or fifteen percent of the way into the book, so it, it it's captured captured my imagination. And of course, we're we're, we're reading Knowing God by J. L. Packer, and uh, we, 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 it, that that's like uh, the
1: methadone program coming off of C. S. Lewis's heroin. Uh, I'm let's say I'm currently uh, working on uh, Fragile Futures by Vito Tanzi, and Vito his book is written in the context of kind of a post pandemic world. Um, if we're going to have things like pandemics or earthquakes or volcanic eruptions, etc., he gives a he gives really good history tied to you know how that has taken various economic um, uh, interests over time. For example, he talks about uh, you know in the last thousand years there have been years without a summer where we've had volcanic eruptions that have made the world colder and started off many ice ages, which I think is a very interesting thing to think about now. Here's the question I wanna ask Vito. And this is like my, this is my Charlie Munger higher seawalls answer, okay? So one of the things that Vito talks about is that volcanic eruptions do tend to change the weather very quickly. So if our current problem is too much warming tied to carbon, couldn't we just stick a couple nuclear warheads down into a volcano and get a lot of ash in the air to cool the earth? I mean, that's, that's and my capitalistic. Pra- I am a, I'm a pragmatist. <laughs> and, so and so, Co- and so Cole, that's something I want to ask Vito. I'm very excited and, for that. And Cole saying that,
0: uh, it, uh, and a week before I graduated from college, Mount St. Helens blew up and it definitely affected worldwide temperatures that ash cloud, uh, reduced the temperatures around the world and is the, the biggest natural event of my lifetime yeah and that's uh let's see that was 80 May 18th of 80 uh I, and and uh Cole was born three years later three and a half years later and uh was sitting on the roof of the of, of the fraternity house uh at 10 o'clock in the morning and it was sunshiny and I went and, and it clouded up I went downstairs to watch the Milwaukee Bucks and Supersonics play in the NBA playoff game, and they they stopped the show to say that Mount St. Helens blew up. I went back up on the roof, and the streetlights were on. We, the sun got eclipsed by the ash cloud.
1: If any of our listeners know Charlie Munger personally, I would say Munger thinks the carbon problem is going to be solved with just building higher seawalls. That's what his noted you know economic argument is. I'm taking a more naturalist view that we just get to explode a volcano. So we, um, I hope that we can prove who is right, but I don't know if anyone's gonna take my solution, um, you know, pre- pragmatically. Um, let's see, my, my other two books, um, Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli by Mark Seal. Mark Seal uh, is writing this book as looking at Mario Puzo and Coppola and all the characters that got involved. Puzo's life um, is literally the godfather um, he had, like, the gun scene where, uh, you know, it, it's— uh, Clemenza. Yeah, it, Clemenza's handing guns across, um, you know, uh, into the window to have his mother hide them. That happened to Mario Puzo as a child. And so I just think the Americana tied to it, the, the story of this, you know, these immigrants, it's very interesting. And, Bill, remind me that the, the, the HBO—is it the HBO series that's, that you're watching right now?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's about—it's called The Offer. It's the making— uh, of the Godfather movie, and it is, it's spectacular. Really it yeah. is, and so, is spectacular. So, so
1: Seal's book, it would be the book tied to that series. Oh, yeah. And oh, so yeah. I think it's a very interesting read with the HBO show going on right now. The other one, and this was recommended by uh, uh, to us by someone, which is How the World Really Works by Vasslav Smil. Uh, uh, he comes at this from a very... Uh, pro, call it evolutionary theory, you know, the world's been around for millions of years. And it's very interesting, like we had Mark Mills on the podcast and Mark comes at it from more of a divine perspective, a uh, intelligent design um, and gets to the same conclusion as Vaslav, which is very interesting that two men with different, I'll call it personal beliefs and you know, uh, in different ways of thinking how we got to here, but they get to the same natural law order of how the world is gonna be sorted out um, and so it, it, it'd be great to have um, Vaslav on if we had the chance. Um, Jameis, what, what, what are you currently reading?
2: I've actually just started. It was in our library, uh, Systems Thinkers by Albert Rutherford. And it's kind of just small uh, chapters on people in history and how they went about changing either their particular field or um, you know their industry. And it, it doesn't go too in-depth. So it's a, it's actually a nice kind of quick read, but it gives you an idea of kind of people's thinking, what they did to change things. Awesome.
1: Um, so lastly, uh, any books that you've had recommended to you um, or ones that you've bought and are looking forward to, to cracking open? Um, uh, I, I've,
0: you just got me excited about the two or three that you had on your list there that I haven't got to yet, Cole. I gotta get to I That's a fascinating idea. Uh, the, the, the speeches that weren't delivered. Because, yeah, yeah it, for each situation, it, the president of the United States has to have two bullets in his gun. Well,
1: and also you got to remember that the speechwriters, this is to go back to that, the speechwriters have to write two speeches and sometimes three based on what they decide. And it's interesting to think about, you know, Jeff points this out to be a speechwriter and completely disagree with something and yet have to write a convincing argument. It, it's like in our own work. What if you had to write the convincing argument to kill a company, right? Yeah. It,
0: or Or... or Or if you're going to write the argument to justify paying way above average price-earnings ratios for
2: a mature growth company. Yeah. It's cool, too, because you have to keep two opposing kind of thoughts in your head, and that's—
1: Yeah, that's a good tension. So, Seamus, what what are any books that you're either looking forward to or— are gonna read soon.
2: So this one I've seen out there quite a bit, Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Um, I don't know much about it. I know it's it gotten a lot of good reviews. It looks pretty good. Uh, and The Forgotten hey, Man Shales. by Amity Shales. Schles,
1: yeah, yeah. Schles, yep. Yeah, we've had her on the yeah. podcast, so yeah, it's not I, a can, typo. I can verify that. It's not that. a typo, Schles, yeah. great lady. That was yeah, a- she was tons of fun to visit yeah. with. So the two, the two that I have, um, let's see, in fact, I'll give uh, uh, our new colleague in London, Richard O'Connell, uh had passed me along a podcast uh done by a gentleman named Richard Oldfield um and he's a longtime money manager uh, there in the UK um, ha- had his own firm now works for a larger firm um but his book that he published back in 07 is called Simple but Not Easy um and he just republished kind of an updated edition of that and listening to his podcast I think I'm really excited for it um because he 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 points out he tells a quick story where he says one time he had bought a first class ticket on a train And he's walking forward on the train and he can't find his first class seat. And right at the point when he was about to get the seat, he turns around and goes back to second class. And he says, as a stock picker and a value stock picker, that's what much of life's like, is when right you should be finally getting your award, you mistakenly turn around. And go back to second class. So I'm very excited. Read his
0: book. Um, it I, sounds like a pretty good motto for our business. You know, the, yeah. the eight criteria we use, and yeah. the, and the way that we try to patiently wait for things to come to us. It's simple, but it's not
1: easy. Yeah, it's not easy. It's 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 tough to actually do. Um, and then the the other book that I've got. This is under this is a very in liberal arts, um, a multiple mental models. I. Uh, You know Shakespeare is as important to a classical education as any writer of the last thousand years. Um, Robert McCrum has a book out called Shakespearean, which goes into a lot of the ideas across his books um, and him as a person. Um, And so I'm excited to crack into that. That'll be a little thicker read, but I think it'll be really fun and refreshing. Suffering some slings and arrows sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, Seamus, Bill, thanks for uh, joining me for today. I'm really interested and excited about the books that we're going to come to. We're going to read. Um, I'm excited for the next few uh, podcasts that we have with some of the authors that we talked about. For our listeners out there, again, we'll be doing this quarterly. Um, This is the Smead book list. If you have a great book that you'd like to recommend, email podcast at SmeadCap.com. That's podcast at SmeadCap.com. You can also get us on Twitter uh, with a recommendation. Our handle is at SmeadCap. Um, we'll look forward to the next time we do this on a book with legs podcast. Uh, we'll see you then.
0: Thank you for listening to a book with legs, a podcast brought to you by Smead Capital Management. The material provided in this podcast is for informational use only and should not be construed as investment advice. You can learn more about Smead Capital Management and its products at SmeadCap.com or by calling your financial advisor.